This morning, we're taking a break from our verse-by-verse study through the life of King David in First and Second Samuel, and we're going to be spending some time with Jesus in the Gospel of John. You can turn there to the first chapter, first 14 verses. Now, typically here at Calvary Hanford, we refer to the New King James Version of the Bible. We love it. We love that version. It's a great version. It's an excellent translation to use. We highly recommend it. However, I'm sure if I polled us this morning, there would be a great variety of Bible translations uh, represented. And, and that's a good thing. That's a great thing. We're excited about that. We do not adhere to a belief that there is only one translation of the Bible that you're allowed to read. We do feel that historically and linguistically there are some translations that are truer to the ancient manuscripts in accuracy and context than others, but it can be very helpful and very refreshing to compare passages from God's Word in different Bible versions so that we can get a greater understanding of the message that God is trying to deliver us. You know, it's as simple sometimes of the fact that, you know, in English we have one word for love and it's love. And, uh, you know, in Hebrew there's a whole bunch of words for love. And so sometimes it's possible that we're not getting uh, as much of a depth by looking at one single translation. And we are now so lucky to live in a time and a place where you can literally carry dozens of Bibles in your pocket and reference them whenever you want. If you have an iPhone, if you have a Blackberry, if you have an Android phone, if you have a laptop, if you have a computer, you know, unlike 99% of all human beings throughout all of human history and even today living on the world, you and I can reference dozens of different Bible versions at the touch of a button instantly using sites like uversion.com and programs like eSword, these free resources where you can just get on and check all of these things out. It can be very stimulating to take a passage, especially a passage that you're familiar with, and read it in your translation of choice, and then hit that same passage in the ESV, the NIV, the Amplified Bible, Old King James, New King James. Those versions are a resource that you can use to augment your personal study, and I would highly recommend that practice. And so, this morning we're going to do something just a little bit different. We're going to be referencing the first chapter of John in the New Living Translation of the Bible. Anybody here use NLT? Anybody? All right. God bless you. I see that hand. But uh, NLT was first published in 1996 by a group of 90 Bible scholars. It is very informal and readable while still staying faithful to the ancient manuscripts. And this chapter of John, the first chapter, is very familiar to many of us. And so hopefully taking a look at it in the New Living Translation will bring us a fresh excitement for what we read. Uh, a, a fresh hearing, you know, not, not the same words, but we'll be hopefully jolted a little bit by just a different phrasing here of what the Lord wants to say. And so beginning in verse 1, John says this, In the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light, so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives lights to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. 
They are reborn, not of a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but of a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Let's pause and pray. Lord, thank You for today and thank You for Your Word. Thank You, God, that You have promised to be here present with us. And by Your Spirit, Lord, You desire to speak to each and every person here today. We ask, God, that You would uh, clear away anything that would be distracting us, anything that would be confusing us. We know, Lord, that You have a a message for us of encouragement and teaching and and, uh, correction and, and direction, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that each one of us would be changed by hearing Your Word. Um, by hearing the things that you wrote and sent to us, Lord, so that we might know you more and and apply your power and your life to our lives. We pray, God, that you would fill this place with your spirit and that um, you would change us, Lord, and transform us more into your image. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Um, You're worthy to be praised. In your name we pray, amen. This text, especially the opening verses, is often used to contend against the teachings or groups that claim that Jesus was not God, but was in fact a created being. We're not going to really spend a lot of time on that today because we'll very plainly see in verses 1 through 4 that Jesus was God, is God, will always be God. There's no wiggle room on that and there's very great clarity in that in this passage. And therefore, anyone who would reject Jesus as part of the Trinity, anyone who rejects the Trinity, anyone who would suggest that Jesus was a created being, is not receiving God's Word as it has been presented to us and therefore needs salvation. That's what we're going to talk about this morning, the message of God and His work of salvation in the world. This morning, I want to focus our attention really on three things. We've read this passage and we saw how often one word in particular was mentioned. That is the word light. And so the three items to study, the three questions we hope to answer are these. First, what is the light? Second, what then is the darkness? And third, what are we going to do about it? We will find that this passage presents to each of us, every single one of us, a call and response. To myself and to each of you, I challenge the question, what will we do with Jesus Christ today? That's a question that we have to answer day by day as we wake up to the Lord's new morning and we think, what will we do with Jesus Christ today? Because He is calling to every single person here, every heart that is listening. Will we respond? And so let's get into this text and see what our response should be and what the call is and look at our first question, what is the light? Back up in verse 1. This gospel begins and says, In the beginning the Word already existed. He was with God and He was God. He was in the beginning with God. He created everything there is. Nothing exists that He didn't make. Again, it's very plain and very clear that Jesus Christ is God. He is eternal. He is all-powerful. He is a member of the Trinity. He was not just a wise teacher from Galilee. He was not just a peace-loving prophet. He was and is God of very God. That's an important thing to start with because if we deviate from that understanding, that's it. We're not going to be able to find accuracy. We're not going to be able to find answers. We're not going to be able to find wisdom if we move off of that point. And there are many teachings and groups out there that would put forth to you that Jesus Christ is not a member of the Trinity. He is not God, but He was the first created being. Or they have all sorts of different 
you know, theories that they have, and those things are simply untrue. In fact, Jesus was the member of the Trinity by which everything was made, John says. Everything. This is an interesting reminder to me because I think that culturally speaking, at least for me, it's easy to sometimes assume that God the Father made everything while Jesus and the Holy Spirit were on a coffee break. You know, and, and it's important to see in this text that nothing exists that Jesus Christ didn't make. That isn't only true of the earth and the stars and the Garden of Eden, but it's true of you and me as well. You were created by Jesus Christ who knows you personally and He loves you personally. John goes on to describe this Jesus who he's referring to as the Word in these opening verses and he says this in verse 4. Life itself was in Him and this life gives light to everyone. The light shines through the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. We find that Jesus Christ is not only the source of life in all of creation but He is the source of light as well. Now we have to pause here. We're going to hit this word again and again and again in this passage. And so it begs the question, why light? Why did John use this term and this idea to illustrate a message to us? Why did God portray himself this way in this passage instead of something else? Why doesn't it read this way? Life itself was in him and this life gives love to everyone or gives hope to everyone or gives knowledge to everyone. Why light? Well, the Lord provides light because the world is in darkness. And that brings us to our second question, what is the darkness? In Genesis, the beginning book of the Bible, we read the creation account. The first two verses of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. In the beginning, at creation, as all things were created through Jesus Christ, God brought light into the darkness of creation. He then made a perfect world that was good and complete and sinless. He then created two human beings, Adam and Eve, the first man and woman on the planet in history. Unfortunately, Adam and Eve chose to break their relationship with God by going against the one command, the one rule that he had put in place. He didn't put that rule in place because God is, you know, uh, power hungry, but he put that rule in place as a test of their love for him. They had a relationship together and he says, do you love me? Oh, yes, we love you. Okay, I have to put this rule, this command in place so that I, that I can you really love me or not. And so Adam and Eve chose to break their relationship with God by going against that one command that he had put in place. They chose to, to break, they sinned, the Bible said. And because of that sin, they plunged the world into spiritual darkness once again. And this is how this plays out. John 3, verse, verse 9, it says, Judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light for their actions were Eve evil. Because of the decision that Adam and Eve made, human beings now have sin in their lives. The creation was corrupted by sin, and now we are worthy and deserving judgment because we rejected God. We loved the darkness more than the light. Spiritual darkness means separation from the Lord. Because sin entered the world, because it was evil and ruined God's perfect creation, we deserve judgment. Men are separated from God and therefore we are doomed to an eternity in hell. It is a place of the Bible as a place of eternal darkness and suffering. It is a real place, a lake burning with fire. Not created for uh, beings, but created for the devil and his angels in, and, uh, so that they could be judged for their sin. 
in the Garden of Eden, Adam to follow after the devil instead of following after the Lord. You know the story. Uh, the devil came as a serpent to Eve and he said, hey, you're hanging out by this tree. What God said, but I think you should eat of the tree anyway. I think you should go things my way. And together we can have this you know, great understanding and this great knowledge of good and evil. Adam followed suit and so they in that moment chose to go and follow after the devil and not the Lord. And now every human being has a nature and we commit individual acts of sin. And therefore we have also inherited hell as our final destination after death. Lots of bad news. The good news is this, God was not happy. He doesn't want us to be separate, separate from Him in this life or in eternity. And so he decided to send his life and his light to the earth once again. He did creation, but he intervened on our behalf, on a rescue mission. He, his light shines through the darkness, John says. But that darkness, I'm the light of God. God is a greater Savior than we are sinners. And so his light shines through the darkness. The love of Jesus Christ reaches out to every and child throughout all of human history. That's the light. We know what the light is. It's Jesus Christ and His revelation and His work in a creation that was corrupted by human beings. The darkness is. Darkness is a separation from God. And then an eternal darkness in hell. Our natural state of sinfulness and separation from the One who made us. What is our response to this as individuals? John presents it to us this way in verse 6. He said, God sent John the Baptist to tell everyone about the light. I believe because of his testimony. And then jump down to verse 12. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. When you, say, when you receive the life that Jesus Christ is offering you, you become a child of God. And now a child of God receives an internal inheritance from the king of the... That's a pretty exciting thing. In fact, the Bible teaches that God loves each of us so much that He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to come and live a sinless life and then to die on the cross, to pay for our sins and then to rise again three days later winning victory over sin and death. God does not want human beings to reject hell. He didn't make hell for human beings. He desires that we all should repent and believe and become His children so that we can live life empowered by His Holy Spirit. Live life full of His strength and His presence. And then so we can spend eternity with Him in heaven together. That's the deal. That's what light and darkness are all about. God to save us from ourselves. God intervening when we were on a path of self-destruction. God transforming lives now and changing our eternities forever because He loves us individually. And so now we've seen the darkness, we've seen the light, and what are we going to do? Will we re-enter into that relationship that Adam and Eve broke? In the That's what God's offering. He says, I want to have a personal relationship with you every single day. Are we going to re-enter into that relationship? Will we individually choose to, re- to receive His light and His life? Or are we going to reject that offer that He's making to us? That's the question. The choice is mine. The choice is yours. Christian here today, if you've never accepted Jesus into your heart as Savior and Lord, then we're going to give you an opportunity to do so in a few moments. And I would encourage you to think about what would happen to you if you died. Because right now you're holding a ticket that ends in eternal darkness, eternal separation in hell. But God doesn't want you to go there. He didn't make that place for you. He desires to be with you in eternity in heaven, which is awesome. But He wants to be with you starting right now. Living life with you, filling your life, giving you light in this dark place.
about that if you've never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But first, for those of us who do have a personal relationship with God, for the Christians here this morning, there's more for us to learn. Because it isn't just about believing. It's also about becoming. God's purpose in your life is not only to bring you from darkness to light, but it's then to transform to His own image once again. That's an interesting thing to think about. I look at myself, within myself, and the external, and I think, uh, I, I was made, it's kind of messed up right now, you know. There's a lot of imperfections that I see going on. And you read in the Bible how God created man and woman in His image, and so what happened was man and woman perfect in His image. They brought corruption, they brought sin, they brought death into the world. And so now we are a shell of what God wanted us to fix relationship with Him without sin, And so God comes and He says, okay, I'm not only going to bring you back into the light, but I also want to transform you. I also want you once again into the image of my Son who is perfect and sinless. I want to get you from where you are right now in this fallen creation all the way through to glorification as you back into that perfect image. His desire for us is that we be His witnesses along the way. That as He's transforming us, as His people believe, but that we become as well and He transforms us day by day and we become His witnesses here on the earth, His evidence of love and salvation in a world of love and salvation, a world that needs light. Again, verse 6, God sent John the Baptist to tell everyone about the light so that everyone might believe because of His... If you are a believer here this morning, God has sent you somewhere to someone Every Christian is called to represent Jesus Christ, every single one of us. That doesn't mean that we all have to go onto the mission field full-time, doesn't mean we all have to work at a church, but every single Christian here this morning, every single Christian on the planet, called and given the privilege of representing Jesus Christ somewhere to someone. That's an exciting thing to think about. Because God then orchestrates your life and my life, so He move us where He wants us to go, and then personally use us to impact different people. You are called and sent so that every person on the planet has an opportunity what God has done for them so that they too might be forgiven of their sins and saved for eternity. It's quite a deal that we're facing here. Not just belief, not just light, but then transformation. And so if I am living passive Christianity, then I'm failing. That's what we're seeing here. Bible says here that God sent John so that people could hear about the light so that they could believe. And if we live a passive Christianity, if we're coasting through life, not serving, not following after the Lord, not living out what we believe, not living in a personal love relationship with God, then we are failing. We're failing what God lives. The Apostle Paul explains it to us this way. He says that the Christian life is like being in a race. And he says, look, I don't know about you, but I want to run this race. I want to run this race so at the end I receive a prize. And there are a lot of great insights throughout God's word about how we can be training for our lives and, and, and the trials and the tests and the temptations that are going to be coming. It's like we can train for those hurdles that we're going to encounter later on in the race. And those are great things to study this morning is that you have already been sent. The race has already begun. You're already in it. The gun's been fired. The clock is ticking. The race is on. That's what God is saying this morning. We have been sent. And really, it's more than just a simple foot race. In reality, it's more like the running of the bulls. Anybody here have bulls over there in Spain? No? I didn't think so, because it's crazy when people do that. Spiritually speaking, 
The Christian life is like the running of the bulls because the stakes are very high. We're talking about life and death here. We're talking about eternity here. God is dealing with something very serious. He's dealing with lives of people that He wants to be in communion with, people He wants to save from destruction. And we have a very short time to run this race, a very short time to be active for the Lord. God's desire, as we see in this text, is that everyone might believe so that they would not perish but receive everlasting life. That's the God we serve. Christians, we have been sent to represent God to a lost and dying world. So how do we do that? How does it work? Verse 8. John himself was not the light. He was only a witness to the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was going to come into the world. Our job is to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. And there are a couple of ways to think about that. The first way is what we most commonly think of when we use that word witness. Think of a courtroom setting. It's as if you're called to the stand to testify of what you know about the Lord. You're called to take a stand and speak. This is a verbal testimony as you explain to friends and family members and co-workers, even strangers, about who Jesus is. That He's a real person and I can tell you about Him because I know Him. Here's what He's done. Here's what He said. Here's how you can know Him too. It's a verbal witness, a verbal testimony. This is why God has given us the Bible. Very convenient. Because if we're called to go and witness verbally to people, it's helpful to know what we're talking about. It's helpful to know who Jesus was so that we can know who He is, what He said, how He loves, what His plan is for the world. And then we go and deliver that message verbally to those around us. That's part of witnessing. But the word witness there can also be translated as evidence. You and I are called not only to be witnesses on the stand, but actual pieces of evidence there in the courtroom. Evidence for Jesus Christ. In this regard, it's not about a verbal testimony, but a physical one. Who are you? Where our lives are literally proof that God can do the things that we say we believe He can do, right? As we have our verbal testimony, we say, this is who God is, this is what He can do, this is what He wants to do in my life, in your life, and in this world. That's our verbal testimony, but we're also meant to be evidence of those facts. Our lives, for example, should prove that God is a God of love because we show love to others unconditionally. Our lives should prove that God is a God of power by trusting that He is sufficient to solve the problems that we face day by day. Our lives should prove that God is a God of patience and mercy as we show patience and mercy to those around us. Our lives should prove that God is a God of forgiveness as we are committed to forgive people who do wrong to us. Our lives should prove that God is a God of peace and not of confusion as we demonstrate confidence in Him. Not worry, not anxiety, not fear, but confidence in our God. Because our lives are evidence of God to the people around us. The question is this, would our evidence hold up in court? Is our physical witness a true representation of the light and the life that Jesus Christ has provided to us? Does our action match our communication? As we're there on the stand verbally testifying about who God is and what He can do and what He wants to do, would the opposing attorney then stand up and say, yeah, but here's the evidence of your life. It does not match your verbal testimony. Uh Uh-oh. Because when you're in a courtroom setting and you have a witness whose words don't match the evidence, you have a real problem there. You have a real situation there. If a person examined my life according to the things that I believe, I wonder how that evidence would hold up. I wonder if the conversation would go something like this. 
Hey, I've been sent to represent a God of mercy and forgiveness to you. Really? Then where's your love? Where's your mercy? Where's your forgiveness? Oh, I I don't need those things. You need those things, but I don't because this is the way I am. I'm a little rough around the edges, so just deal. So we're saying that we believe that God is a God of love and forgiveness and patience and mercy and peace and, and all these other things. But does the evidence of our lives match that? Does the action match the communication? Our desire is that through our verbal and physical witness, God would then amplify our lives supernaturally so that people would be coming to us saying, I want the peace you have. I want the hope you have. I want the confidence you have. I want it. How do I get it? That's what God desires to do through our lives. That's our calling as disciples, as representatives, as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. To testify and be used by God as evidence of His powerful plan. Now, I like the point that John makes up in verse 8. It says, John himself was not the light. He was only a witness to the light. As Christians, we do not minister so that we can gain a following. This is an important principle for all of us, but especially those who seek to lead or go into the ministry in some way. The Christian life is not lived so that we can gain a following. It's not Twitter. Serving God is not Twitter racking up, you know, stats for ourselves. Our service for God is so that He will be magnified, so that He will be glorified, so that people will be focused on Him, not on us. He must increase, we must decrease. That's the deal. In verse 9, John said that the light, Jesus Christ, was going to come into the world again in order to reach out to save mankind. He continues in verse 10. But although the world was made through Him, the world didn't recognize Him when He came. Even in His own land and among His own people, He was not accepted. Whether you're a Christian here this morning or not, the overarching message is the same. Jesus Christ has come to you. He has. He's come to offer you salvation. And if you receive Him, if you've received that salvation, He then offers you light and life, strength and peace, power and forgiveness, purpose and eternity. That's the message. And this is the opposite of every world religion, every phony system that says that you as a human being must earn your way into the afterlife, earn your way into good standing with God or the cosmos or whatever. Look at the difference here. Jesus Christ comes to us. He comes to us as we are. An unbeliever doesn't have to climb a mountain in order to find God. He doesn't have to make sure that he's got his scales going and hopefully he does more good than bad, otherwise karma's going to wipe him out and all these things. He doesn't have to climb a mountain in order to find God, he just has to turn around because Jesus Christ is right there following after him, saying, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. All they have to do is turn around. In fact, that's what repent means. The Bible says that God desires that all men come to repentance. And what repent means is to just stop and turn around, to change course. And when you turn around from that course of darkness that you're on, that course that leads you to hell, you turn around. Jesus Christ is right there, standing there, offering you abundant life and heaven and direction for your day-to-day living. It's a remarkable thing. Likewise, Christians, people who are already in a relationship with the Lord, we don't need to be afraid in this life. It's a scary world. There's lots of difficult things that happen, but we don't have to be afraid of the dark because the light is here. Jesus Christ has come to us. He's provided light to us. And if we think about the analogy that God has given us here in this passage, it just makes so much sense. Think of yourself in a dark cave. No light. 
caverns all over the place. You don't know where to go. You don't know what's around you. You're trying to find your way to God. You're trying to find your way out of this world of sin and death and corruption. But God doesn't want you to be separated from Him and so He doesn't leave you there by yourself to find your own way out. He doesn't want you to miss out on His amazing personal plan for your life and so He decided to come to you and to bring light into that dark place. He's not only the light at the end of the tunnel, eternal life, but He comes and says, I'm going to give you light along the way to help you from here to there. He's the help and the destination. And He gives that light which the Bible says cannot be extinguished by the darkness. God does this because He loves us, not because we've earned it or that we have to earn it. Life is not like the sword in the stone. It's not how God works where there's only one person and maybe you're just good enough that you can receive my blessing, you can receive my power, you can receive my direction. No, God goes on record in His Bible and He says, if you believe in me and receive this light, I give you the right to become a child of God. And a child of God receives an inheritance in me. And all of these things that I'm offering to you. Pick one. Wisdom, hope, peace, confidence, power, grace. That's what God is offering. Jesus comes to each of us so that we can see. So that we can navigate this life so that we can have hope, so that we can find a way out of the sin that this world is in and receive eternity with Him in heaven. That's the deal. Think of darkness. Jesus comes here and He says, hey, I'm the lighthouse when a ship is on a stormy sea and doesn't know where the rocks are. I'm the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm the nightlight when you're afraid of the dark. I'm the light. I'm the direction. I'm the end result that you're looking for and I'm the help along the way. And so the question is, in our lives, since God has sent His light and since God desires to be with us and since He's doing all these things and He's come to us, the question is, do we recognize God? Do you see Him working in your life? Because He is. For every single person here this morning, every person listening, God is working in your life. Sometimes we fail to see God moving in our lives because we have our eyes closed to Him. We're in a pretty well-lit room here right now, but if we close our eyes, guess what we get? Darkness. Doesn't matter how well lit the room is, if we close our eyes, we're not going to be able to see where we're going. Sometimes as Christians, we close our eyes to God, and then we wonder why we can't see anything. Sometimes we're wondering why we're not moving forward spiritually, why we're not overcoming those sins that we are desiring to break free from. It's oftentimes because we've closed our eyes to God. It's this sort of self-imposed blindness. We stop listening to God. We stop listening to His Word. Remember that in the Bible it says this, Psalm 119, 105, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Remember, Jesus Christ is the source of all life, all creation, and He's the source of all light. In our lives, spiritually speaking, if we want to move forward, we need light. You're not going to be able to navigate that dangerous cave without light. In our lives, if we want growth as human beings, as Christians, if we want spiritual fruit, we need light. Plants can't grow without light. We cannot grow as Christians without the light of Christ and His words. We can't do it. Jesus knows where you are at in this life right now. And He's come to you with an offer that cannot be compared. Whatever you're facing, whatever difficulty you're suffering, whatever hurt or fear, that darkness cannot overcome the light of Christ. He is present and He is powerful and He is personal. That's our God. He cares for you. He cares for me. Our response is to believe and then become. 
to follow after Jesus, to take in His presence and take up the call to share the light with those around us. We are to join in the rescue effort that God is on. We're to join with Him and partner with God in bringing others from darkness to light as we share about this Jesus and all the things that He's done and all the things He desires to do. Verse 12. But to all who believed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. The hope that we all desire, the wisdom that we all need every day, the help for living and the promise of eternity only comes from God. It's the only place we find those things. We can only be reborn by His power. Not through our own works, not through our own intentions, but through God's love and His salvation. Jesus became a man and He dwelt among us. Because He is full of unfailing love and faithfulness, we are able to once again connect with God in a personal relationship. And that is the only thing that can save us on either side of eternity. That's the only help that we can find. And if we look to any other thing other than Jesus Christ and what He's done and what He has said, we will not find that which we seek after. Those words there, unfailing love and faithfulness, can also be translated as grace and truth. And so we have four very interesting descriptors there. Unfailing love. That was God's willingness to sacrifice Himself. As Pastor Greg Laurie says, Jesus paid a debt He did not owe because we owed a debt that we could not pay. Unfailing love. And then faithfulness. God continues to love us and care for us and work in our lives even when we are unfaithful. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And He will not leave us or forsake us because He is a faithful God. Grace, to give us favor and endurance for this life as we serve and glorify Him. Truth, because we need answers in this world. We need hope. And God has a plan And He's revealed that plan very plainly to us so that people can be saved and transformed. So that men and women can have their eyes open to the fact that God is real and He is love and their sins can be forgiven. God very plainly says, I'm going to give you truth. Here's what's going on in your life. Here's what's going on in the world. Here's why it happened. Here's what I did about it. Here's what's going to happen at the end. Truth, because we need those answers and because He doesn't want us to miss out on who He is and what He's done because He's not the God of confusion but the God of peace, the God who reveals Himself to us. And so maybe this morning you're a Christian who loves the Lord, you're working to serve Him, you're committed to drawing nearer to Him day by day. To you I say keep going, keep racing, keep pushing, keep serving. That's what the Lord wants for you to speed you on your course as you move moment by moment closer to eternity. And he says, yes, keep transforming. That's what God wants to do in your life. Keep moving forward in your walk with God. He's given you a light to shine in this dark world. And so the warning is, don't be tempted to hide that light under a bushel. Let your light shine before men. Paul said in Ephesians 5, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Be strong in the Lord. Be full of His joy and a confidence that God is doing mighty things in and through you. Maybe this morning you're a Christian 
but you're on the sidelines. You're not really walking with God. You've settled in your relationship with Him. You don't talk much with Him anymore in prayer. You don't read the Bible, which is His love letter to you anymore. You don't read that very much. You're not really serving Him. You're not really thinking about heaven. You're not living really as a representative, not engaging in your spiritual life. To you, I say this. Jesus Christ loves you, and He wants better for you. He wants power for you. He has a special plan for your life. More than that, He's offered you power and hope to live in His light. Not in the darkness, but in confidence, guiding your steps. That's what God wants for you. To live above the struggles of this world and in His plan. Peter said it this way, You are a chosen people. You are a holy priesthood, a holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for He called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Respond to the call of God. If you feel like you're on the sidelines this morning, then respond to God's call. He loves you. He cares about you. He has a calling for you. Pair your belief with action. Follow God as a disciple. Apply God's word to your life. Believe and become a child of God and be a part of His work on the earth. Don't subject yourself to that self-imposed blindness, but open your eyes to the Lord. Open your eyes to His Word and become a disciple who follows actively so that you can receive the fullness that God is offering you today. That's an individual decision that we have to face as Christians. It's an individual decision that we all have to make. Will we recognize God, who He is, and what He wants to do in our lives? Sometimes we get so self-centered that we often miss the things that God is trying to do in and through us. But remember, we want to run this race to win the race. We want to be busy this side of eternity. And finally, this morning, perhaps you're not a Christian. You've never believed that Jesus Christ came and died and rose again so that you could be saved. Maybe you've never even heard that message, that there's a personal God who loves you individually. If that describes you this morning, then I do have something to say to you as well. There's no one like Jesus. There's no one like Jesus. There's no plan like His plan. He's come to you and He's offered you forgiveness for your sins and life everlasting. He's offered you hope and grace for this life. And there's no one like Him. You can go elsewhere for wisdom, you can go elsewhere for hope, but you're not going to find it. It can't be found because only Jesus offers life and light. Only Jesus offers forgiveness for your sins. He is the source of those things. When He came to earth the first time, the world did not recognize Him. Even in His own land, among His own people, He was not accepted. That was a choice that those people made. You see, they didn't want a dying Messiah they wanted a conquering one. The people that lived with Jesus, they were under subjection by the Roman government there in Judea, and they wanted someone who would come in and throw off the Roman army. They had this earthly problem. It was real. It was rough. It was significant. But they were just looking to help with this one issue. This is what I care about. I want a Messiah that deals with this one issue. And Jesus came to conquer, not the Roman army. He came to conquer something much more significant. He came to conquer sin and death. He came to save us eternally. And so all of us have struggles, all of us have hurts. God knows about them, He cares about them. He wants to work in those situations. And so the question He poses to you, to all of us, is what do you want? What do you want in this life and in the next life? Did you know that that's the first recorded phrase that Jesus speaks in the Gospel of John? Some guys are kind of following Him around because they've heard that He's the Messiah and He finally stops and He looks at them and He says, What do you want? What do you want? What about you? Do you want hope? 
Do you want peace? Do you want forgiveness for your sins? Do you want everlasting life? Because that's what Jesus is offering you. That's what Jesus offers to every man, woman, and child on this earth. He's offering you salvation and a relationship with Him that ends in heaven. Without Him, nothing was made, and without Him, nothing can be saved. And so, if you're there, here today and you're not a Christian and you're thinking, well, what I want is a better marriage, what I want is a better job, I have this issue, I want out of this problem, I want a solution to this situation I'm facing. To you, I say, you know, Jesus is offering you not one answer, but He's offering you an entire package. He's offering you a new life. He's offering you rebirth. He's offering you hope and forgiveness. He's offering you an inheritance, purpose in life, help in life, strength and peace in life, forgiveness. And it all comes by knowing Him. It all comes by inviting Jesus into your heart and having a personal relationship with Him. And so if you would like to know Jesus this morning, we are going to give you that opportunity right now. So let's pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Lord, thank You for this morning and thank You for Your Word. We pray that Your Spirit would do a, a great work in all of our lives, Lord. We know that's what You want and it's what we want as well. Help us to shake free, Lord, of anything that would slow us down in this life, anything that would hinder growth, Lord. Open our eyes and awake us to see how wonderful and glorious you are, how much you love us and the good things that you have planned for us. We're excited, Lord, to stand before you and see you face to face one day, the one that died while we were yet sinners. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do a work and that you would speak to every heart. Please do that, God. And as we're praying here, I just want to give one opportunity. If there's anyone here in the fellowship hall listening online, someone who doesn't know Jesus personally but wants to, wants to receive the life that he's offering, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. We're not asking you to join a church. We're not asking you to climb a mountain believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God the Bible says and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved and so just as we're closing if you desire eternal life if you desire hope for the future if you desire help and forgiveness then call out to God and if you would just Slip your hand up so that we can see what's going on in your life. Only I'm looking. Nobody else is looking around. And so if there's anybody here that wants to receive Jesus Christ as Lord, just raise your hand. Praise the Lord. God, we thank you again. You're such a good and gracious God. We are excited to meet you. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us know you more. That we would know more of who you are and what you did and what you want for our lives because they are good and marvelous things. Thank you, God, for the opportunity and the freedom to gather together to worship you and spend time with one another to study your word. Be with us now.